God's first language is silence, writes the medieval mystic St. John of the Cross. Commenting on this insight, theologian Thomas Keating adds that everything else is a poor translation. He continues, in order to understand this language, we must learn to be silent and rest in God. My prayer life has changed over my lifetime, and yet it has a consistency to it that allows me to recognize it instantly. I no longer pray like a child or even like a teenager, but no sincerity has been lost in the years. My desire to talk to God remains as steady as ever. The thing that has changed the most over the years, however, is the number of words I use. Silence is much more important to me now. As a child, I was taught to pray for other people and maybe a little bit for myself. As a child, I would naturally try to pray for the things that I wanted, a new bicycle, good grades in school, or summer to come sooner. With one of my parents or grandparents at my side, they would gently help me pray for less selfish things. My brothers and sister, my teachers, the president, children in faraway lands. They were also there to help me not expect immediate results from my prayers. If I prayed for a pony, I would not necessarily get a pony. That was not how prayer worked, they explained. God was listening to me, but God was more interested in rewarding the love in my heart than my wishes for a pony. Not much has changed in my understanding of prayer since those days. I still find myself occasionally praying that my life might be easy or easier or that I might have more success, I might be more successful. But I am still mostly trying to reveal a loving heart to God when we chat. And God has always been the silent partner in my prayer life. I am the one who does all of the talking. And on good days, my chatter subsides, and I am content to sit in silence with the holy Genuine, humble prayer is a rare thing in our world, as is silence. Usually we try to attempt to amuse ourselves every waking minute. Usually we cram as much as we can into each of our days. Usually we are trying to do so many things at once that we fall into bed exhausted each night, only to get up the next day and repeat the whole process over again. In a hyper-stimulated world, things like prayer and meditation look like a complete waste of time. Especially a prayer life, where there is no expectation that God will ever reveal God's self, seems quite fruitless. Why talk to someone who does not reply? Why be vulnerable with someone who is too timid to show themselves? That God hides from us is one of the things that makes God God, though, and that's the tricky, mysterious part of all of this. 
Now, I know that some of you have no use for the concept of God at all, and that's just fine. You are probably ready to sort of check out on me right now, and I want you to resist that a little bit if you can. Just stick with me here. Be assured that I am not talking about a God who defies the laws of physics or knows how things will turn out in advance. I'm talking about ultimate mystery, something akin to the Force for all you Star Wars fans. Whether you believe in God or not, prayer and meditation can have the same beneficial effect on your life. I'm using God language this morning, but you can translate that word for anything you like. And if we Unitarian Universalists are ever going to partner with people of other faith traditions, we will have to make peace with the word God. But that's another sermon for another day. (laughs) In our opening hymn, we sang the words of Walter Chalmers Smith, Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most gracious, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. With words taken from the earliest book of the Bible, Exodus, Smith's hymn takes us back to Moses and the burning bush. In all of the Hebrew and Christian scriptures, God reveals God's self very, very rarely. Even when God speaks to Moses from a burning bush, God knows that Moses couldn't handle seeing firsthand. The story tells us that God had Moses go behind a giant boulder in order to talk to God without being harmed. Part of the reason God hides, according to the Bible, is because we could not handle the first-hand encounter. Another reason God hides is because our faith would be of little use to us if we didn't need to to exercise it regularly. As a child, I thought that if I just prayed the right way, I would unlock the secret of faith like a padlock. If I figured out the right combination, the lock would open to me forever. Then I would understand religion, and I wouldn't have to work at it anymore. Then God would be clear and plain and out in the open. I have no idea what I thought I would do next, but I worked on that combination a lot. It was not until much later that I realized that God is not something to unlock or to figure out. God is a steady companion who encourages a lifelong search for meaning and connection. This realization also allows me to understand why God hides even when there is great tragedy. And this was especially hard to figure out. Most of us who doubt God, faith, and religion doubt them most when something horrible has happened. We think to ourselves, surely any God who cares for her people would have done something to stop this terrible thing. Natural disasters, wars, friends dying of cancer and the like are all things we think a God who is supposed to be almighty and victorious should be able to stop, right? Until we unhook ourselves from this simplistic form of religion, 
we will be perpetually mad at God and perpetually disappointed with religion. Just because God hides during horrible things does not mean that God is not present or doesn't care. Writing in the Christian Century, Fleming Rutledge says, The prophet Isaiah wrote, Truly thou art a God who hidest thyself. She goes on to say, This verse has had a lot of attention over the centuries. Throughout history, the question has always been asked, When terrible things happen, where is God? This question becomes more urgent and more agonizing when something happens to children. When the news of the massacre at the Newtown, Connecticut Elementary School came through, there wasn't or shouldn't have been a person of faith in this country who didn't ask, where was God? Why does God permit these atrocities? She continues, It was widely noted and noted with some skepticism and even disdain by some that every one of the funerals for the children of Sandy Hook Elementary School was held in a house of worship. This does not answer the question of why God did not stop the shooter, that inexplicably damaged and lost young man, when he opened fire at the school. We do not know why God appeared to be absent, she said. What we do know is that God was present in this way. He was and still is present in the coming together of those who grieve with the families to bring small lights into the blackness of their grief. They were not alone. Something or someone drew the bereaved families deeper into the midst of communities that continue to trust God, even when he has hidden himself. Incomprehensible as it may seem, she concludes, God is alive in the faith of his people, wherever they are and whatever the conditions. One of the true miracles of a religious community such as First Parish in Concord is that we do not have to understand why a tragedy happened to know what to do about it. The point Fleming Rutledge is making is that faith is much more about, it is is about much more than knowing why something happened or what it means. Even with the great theological diversity in this congregation, we know instantly what to do after a tragedy, even when we are bewildered by why it happened. We know how to comfort those who are grieving. We know how to give generously toward a relief effort. We know how to side with the oppressed. We know the ways actions are more important than words. Many would say our actions are God's actions. If we act God is not hidden at all. If we are not silent, then neither is God. When a religious community such as ours stops worrying about the finer points of theology, then it can begin to do the work of the world that is so desperately needed. When a congregation can cheerfully embrace the full theological spectrum without worrying that somebody might be offended, then it is ready to actually make a difference in people's lives. 
Radical acceptance of one another is the first step to understanding how prayer and meditation can be an effective tool for change. And a willingness to step into silence and into clumsy prayer can change each of us for the better. Despite her shyness, I occasionally catch a glimpse of God. Once in a great while, if the circumstances are right, I find myself transfixed by awe. Usually this happens, and when it happens, it's because I have quieted myself enough to be open to it. A couple of summers back, I was kayaking one morning on an Adirondack lake. It was a beautiful sunny day, a little bit afternoon. One reason I like my kayak is because it's so quiet. I can get very close to wildlife in it. As I gently paddled around a rocky point of the shoreline, I saw a rustling up ahead in the bushes. As I always do, I instantly stopped paddling and made myself as quiet as I could. I didn't know what I would see. I also realized that I was downwind from whatever creature was up ahead. This would help because my scent would not carry toward it. Sitting perfectly still, I watched as a mother black bear and her two cubs fed on a berry bush at the shoreline. The mother patiently showed the cubs how to bend a branch down and fill their mouths full of berries. Grunting her approval, the mother nudged them from one bush to the next. I was mesmerized. Usually, it is very difficult to see black bears up close. They are very shy. For a few minutes, time and place disappeared. I was one with the lake. I was one with the breeze. I was one with the bears. Only because I had calmed myself enough to move quietly and deliberately was I open to the bear's presence. As if in a trance, as if in prayer, I held the moment as long as it would last. Then, with a disgruntled snort, the mother bear, from the mother bear, I knew that I had been discovered. All three crashed into the woods nearby, not to be seen again. Though they are hidden, are they still there, those three bears? Of course they are. My faith in them is no less for their shyness. They will reveal themselves to me again when the time is right. So be it. Amen.